Welcome to season three of Outstanding Women Leaders, Witty and Wise Conversations. I'm your host, Katie L. Eads, founder and chief owl at Outstanding Women Leaders, Owl Professional Coaching, an organization dedicated to empowering women leaders to rewrite their story and reconnect to fulfillment and joy. OWL is on a mission to host 100 million witty and wise conversations that disrupt the way leaders think and inspire you to live in a different way in relationship to each other. No, uh, we have four rules today for our podcast. Number one, nobody gets to be wrong. Number two, nobody gets to be right. Number three, everybody gets to be vulnerable. And number four, everything is included. We do not edit here. There are birds chirping outside my window and they're a little aggressive today. It's all included in the podcast. This conversation is exactly what it needs to be in this moment in time, including my blur, my accidental blurb I made earlier. We've asked our guests to join us via video to allow us to create authentic connection. Eyes are the window to the soul. You will be seen here. You will be heard. There's space for you. When this conversation comes to a close, I will ask our guests three questions. If you've tuned in before, you know what they are. And if you haven't, you don't want to miss them. But enough about OWL. Today, I'm excited to welcome Outstanding Women Leader Marissa Sanzaki. Did I get your last name right? Sanzaki, yes. <laughs> That's probably the best I've ever done. Marissa is a seasoned talent acquisition and people operations leader with international experience across Silicon Valley, Canada, Europe, Australia, and Asia. Her expertise in working with early stage startups and hyper growth companies led her to advocate for a humanistic approach to recruitment. In the short time I've gotten to know Marissa, I can already tell she puts the human and human resources. With 15 years of experience, Marissa has recruited for some of the world's best-known technology names, including Google, Facebook, and Slack. As Slack's first HR hire, Marissa was instrumental in growing the company from under 50 employees to a team of well over 850 globally in less than three years. Drawing on lessons learned from her experience in Silicon Valley, including working for controversial companies and toxic workplaces, Marissa advises hiring managers and founders on the importance of building people-first and values-aligned companies. She speaks that fostering inclusive and psychologically believes that fostering inclusive and psychologically safe work environments is critical for employee well-being. And if that wasn't impressive enough, what you really need to know about Marissa is how friggin' cool she is. She's so cool. I met her and demanded to be on the podcast. And in 2016, she appeared in Business Insider's Top 100 Coolest People in Australian Tech List. Her interviews have been featured across print, digital, and radio. In addition to recruitment, she is an angel investor and advisor to startups. Excuse me, will I fanboil over here at this owl? I was so excited to read that part of your bio. I'm like, I have more questions. It is such an honor to have you on the podcast today. So Marissa, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Katie. I'm really excited to talk to you today. And I know we met kind of casually in San Francisco and had drinks and explored the ferry building. But um, I think I'd love to talk more about just kind of um, my experiences and, you know, bring any insight that might be helpful to other people. Yes. And when I think of human resources, I think of humans who are overusing what little resources they have. So I was so excited <laughs> to hear about your humanistic approach. And I want to share a lot of that with our listeners mm -hmm. today. But before we do that, because I'm fangirling, I want to know a little bit about being an angel director and advisor to startups and what that means. Yeah, so that's something that's kind of new that's come up for me in the last year or so. Um, 
just being in tech, you know, I've had the great experiences of working for different companies and now um, can kind of use that experience to help new startup uh, founders who want to know, like, how do I grow a successful company? Like, what's important for me as I think about the team that I want to build? And so um, I've been working with one company that's very new, um, still kind of early stage in terms of um, seed funding and doing the research and development part of things. Um, but I've been lucky enough to be able to um, have the privilege to, to use some of the finances that I've made well in tech and then reinvest that into other companies um, to help them get started. I think that's just so inspiring for our women leaders listening to here because it's such a space where we anticipate men that are doing that. And it's so great to hear about women and being in the startup tech side on the East coast. Um, it's, there's so many of our listeners that are in that, you know, wanting to launch. Uh, and so it's great to have that expertise on today. When uh, startup worlds are not known for work-life balance, they're not known necessarily for having a great uh, mental health in the workplace. Talk to us about what that looks like in startup and how you're helping to foster that. Yeah, when I started um, in the tech world, and I think things have um, started to change and are progressing, but it definitely was, uh, it's not an easy lifestyle. And I think people who maybe want to get into tech or get into startups um, for the first time, it's kind of something that they really need to understand expectation-wise, especially with early stage startups. Um, it's really just kind of all hands on deck. Everyone's putting their heart and their passion into what they're doing to make it successful. And that can mean very long days, you know, 12 hour days, working weekends, kind of always on, especially now um, when you're just kind of always on your mobile phone and getting alerts and notifications, it's really hard to shut off. And I think in my younger years, in my early 20s, I just wanted to impress everyone. And I thought career was the most important thing. And so I made that pretty much my entire life. And to the detriment of my health at times, uh, made that my, my main focus was work, work, work. And um, so I think it, it's knowing like there is a lot of time that goes into working in startups. And it's kind of up to the individual unfortunately, um, to have the boundaries and kind of set the expectations. I'm like, these are my working times. This is what you can expect to me from me. Um, but I do think that we've come to a point now where companies are aware that they need to create more balance there. And um, I think are looking more about how to foster kind of more of a wellness aspect in the workplace. Mm. When I think of um, everyone I know that worked in tech startups and I had a, an opportunity when I first moved here, I was just doing whatever side hustle I could. So I was unpackaging boxes and repackaging them for a company called Fancy. Um, and when I think of that, I think of the badge of honor that we wore for working so hard. And um, I'd love to know like about you more about that shift that you talk about on how mm -hmm. do you strike that balance of, I want this company to be successful I know I'm going to work long hours, but there's still a balance there because you've been, you've lived that. You've worked for some pretty big companies at their startup phases. How did you also help make sure that you felt that balance? Yeah, it's interesting you say badge of honor because now I just have this flashback to this one startup I worked at where, and, and I think this happened a lot in different companies where people just kind of kept an eye on each other. And it was like, who's the first one in and who's the first, like the last one to leave the office. And, and it was kind of this badge of honor of like, 
I get there before everyone else does. I, I'm the last one to leave. Therefore, it means I work harder and I'm valued more, which is not necessarily true. Um, you know, people always talk about work smarter and not harder. Um, and that's something that I also had to learn throughout the years is, um, you know, figuring out, um, you know, what my contribution to the company is, like, what is my talent? What am I good at? And how can I do that effectively while also kind of honoring myself and my life outside of work? And so, um, for example, for what I do now is I make sure I take a lunch because I'm the type of person that if I don't actively take a lunch, I don't, well, now I work from home, but if I was in the office, I wouldn't leave my desk or I'd get the lunch and I'd sit down and eat it at my desk. And it's really depressing to be in an office where you never see the sun. <laughs> I worked in one office that was kind of ground level, but it was in this interior courtyard. So we didn't get natural light. Um, and I get there at like 7.30 AM before the sun would rise. And I leave at like 7.30 PM and the sun would already be setting and I would never take a break. Um, so now I block out from 12 to one, I put it on my calendar. It's, everyone can see it. So I'm very transparent on this is my lunchtime and when I walk the dog. So it's lunch slash dog break every day from 12 to one that full hour is my time. And even if I think I don't need it, cause I'm like, oh, I could just push out one more email. No, I make myself get food. I make myself drink water, go outside, get a walk, take the dog out and just do something to kind of distract myself and reset. When you think back to the times that you were eating lunch at your desk, because I'm incredibly guilty of that as well. Um, what's the shift for you? What is the, what's the benefit for you of really honoring that time? Um, I think just realizing how much that over time, not taking care of myself really compounds and adds up. And so you think, well, I'm okay. I'm not starving. I'll, I'll be okay to skip a lunch today. And then it just becomes this pattern and over time realizing how that's affected me with, you know, whether it's like really low vitamin D because I'm never outside in the sun or, you know, um, cholesterol's up because I'm eating unhealthy because I, that's the one way that I'm coping with the stress of the job. It's like, once I started to look more at my actual, both physical and mental health, I realized that, you know, I wasn't taking good care of myself. And over time, all of a sudden, one day I wake up and I realize like, I'm, I don't treat myself very well. <laughs> Why is that? Yes. Learn from the elder millennials. Um, and this <laughs> breaking the pattern is, that is what I heard there. And it's so important because once you break one pattern, you really can start to prioritize yourself in other ways. And right now I find it interesting. We have um, this really like in the workforce, we're looking at, is it the workplace's responsibility to create this mental health and work-life balance? Or is it the employee? I'm curious what your take is on that from an HR perspective and also from someone who's lived that tough life. Yeah, I think it's definitely both, but it is on the employer to create a healthy work environment as much as possible. Um, you know, whether that's through off offering competitive benefits and perks or um, making sure that you hire people that are good people that are not going to cause a, you know, hostile work environment and making sure that you kind of uh, you know, get rid of some of those problematic people, maybe if um, they are creating a negative workspace. But um, it's also on the individual because nobody is really going to hold your hand and, and make you do these things. Um, so a company can say, like, we care about our people 
all they want, but unless you're really standing up for yourself and being your own advocate, it's, it's hard to do that. Um, May is Mental Health Awareness Month um, at my current employer. I thought it was really great that the CEO kind of sent out a message to remind us about that and tell us about the different resources that the company provides. So a lot of companies nowadays will offer like corporate subscriptions to apps like Headspace or other things like that. Um, you know, and he mentioned mental health is the same as physical health. It's your health. So take off the time if you need to. Um, I'm actually taking next week off. I realized that I was under a lot of stress. I, I did what I've done in the past and I, I worked really hard and pushed myself and I saw it affecting my physical health and uh, had a you know difficult conversation with my boss about this is kind of where I'm at. It's affecting my productivity. It's affecting my concentration and I need this time just to reset. Um, even with the company saying this is where we stand and what we believe in, that was still a really scary conversation for me to have. And it, you know, it definitely took me kind of standing up and saying like, no, I definitely need this time off um, because I know how it will help me. What advice do you have for people on navigating those scary conversations? Because here you are working in HR and you're still feeling that nervousness. How does the average mm -hmm. or the low person on the totem pole, so to speak, approach their boss in the way that is really clear and help communicate what they need? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And I definitely push for if you can, if you realize like you're dealing with anything like depression or anxiety to seek professional help of like a therapist, therapist or psychiatrist um, that can kind of help you navigate through that. Um, but also hopefully you're in a workplace where you can have open conversations with your manager. And I'd say express those things early on. Don't wait until like, you know, you're in the middle of a um burnout or panic attack to where you just, you can't work anymore. Um, try to lead up to that. You know, I've, I had conversations about like, I'm not feeling as inspired about work as I used to because of whatever reason, or, um, you know, these are some of the frustrations I'm having, or I let her know like, Hey, this project actually took up way more time than we had anticipated. And I stayed up till 12 AM reviewing applications <laughs> And, you know, unless I said that, she had no idea. Um, and that's, you know, as a manager for her to say like, oh, that, that's definitely not how I want you to be spending your time. And that's not productive time. And, you know, I'll get you the extra help that you need. Um, so definitely like building up to those conversations and, and in the real time, giving as much feedback as you can. Mm, that's a great point. Um, early on expressing that so that when there is that moment or if a moment occurs, you've already laid that groundwork. I'm also a big fan. You know, I get asked a lot of scenario questions when people are interviewing me. I have scenario questions for my future employer. <laughs> you know, what's the scenario, right? What is the, what is the FMLA or what is that? You know, asking those questions, I think, even before you step foot in the door is important. How do you vet workplaces? You've worked at several places. You have, um, what's your vetting system? What do, uh, questions do you recommend people ask? I'm getting ahead of myself, but it ties in so well. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... It's hard because, you know, people can tell you what you want to hear sometimes. Um, so, of course, uh, you know, questions that I always ask or I hear candidates ask me is always like, describe the company culture. What are the people like? And, of course, everyone is going to say, oh, I love the people I work with. It's so great here. You know, um, whatever they might say. But I think looking for concrete examples. And so, um, you know, what I do with recruiting. And when I even think about myself and job searches, I'm, it's very much for me a values focus. So um, I stay away from the word culture because I think that can just be 
kind of fluffy, can mean anything, um, and also can be a little bit like ex exclusive at times. Um, but when I think about values, you know, values are things that are at the core of every person's being. And so we might not have the same values, but um, those are things that are essential to like how you live your life. Um, and so I like to think about what are my core values? What are the company's core values and kind of do they align and is there a fit there? Um, so for me, I like to ask concrete examples. Um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm very much about um, like emotional intelligence. Uh, when I worked at Slack, one of the values was humility. I hear a lot of tech companies now also mirroring that word, um, but I'll ask for actual examples. So if I'm interviewing at a place, um, rather than ask, are people nice and are they humble? And, you know, is everyone there low ego? Of course, they're going to tell me what I want to hear. So I might say, you know, can you give me an example of a recent time where someone showed humility? What did that look like? Hopefully they have uh, something that pops into their head right away, but they might not. Um, when I worked at Slack as a recruiter, I'd give an example and I'd tell a story of this time um, about our CEO, Stuart Butterfield. And, you know, a lot of times CEOs and some companies might not, might not be accessible. They might not be friendly. You might not even talk to them. Um, so we had an, a time where we had the summer picnic. A few of us came back to the office to like watch, I think, a basketball game on the TV. He was there with his girlfriend at the time and they had ordered some Chinese takeout. And when he saw us come into the office, he felt really bad because he was eating in front of us. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, you guys. I didn't know you'd be here. I would have ordered food. And we're like, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. And we went to another room to watch the game. And then we hear this little knock at the door and he comes in with a tray and he had like portioned out the rest of his food. He had bowls, he had soy sauce, utensils, like everything. And he just served this food. And I was like, this is an example of humility because nobody had to do that. And as the CEO of a company, he definitely didn't have to share his dinner with us. But like, those are the types of stories that as a recruiter, I'll tell candidates. And as a job seeker, like I hope to hear some sort of example of that also. Mm, what an amazing example. What a great guy. Um, and also, I, I love that you're turning that same question. Like I mentioned scenarios. I want to know, you know, what's, what's for me when I ask a company, I want to know, okay, if I've been out sick for a week and then a week later, my mom dies and then probably not again, she's gone, but right. I've asked a specific scenario of where there's a lot of out. And then I request another week because I'm having a hard time. Like what's, how would you handle that? And I love mm -hmm. that you're asking, can you give me an example of a time? Like these are the questions they're asking us when we're vetting them. So yeah, um, great, great um, questions to be asking for future employers. And so many people are looking at the great resignation. We'll get a little bit more to career advice towards the end, but I want to, I want to talk about um, bringing this idea of bringing your full self to work. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, kind of, I'm really excited about this. I've been excited about this the whole time. Um, right now, we have this shift where people are like, I want to bring my whole self to work. I don't want to have yeah. to hide myself. For me, I've been a high school teacher. So bringing my full self to work looked a little bit different, right? There was privacy. Um, I've been in forward-facing roles as CEOs myself. Like I've, I've very much felt like full self to work is about authenticity, and not so much about bringing every aspect facet and mm -hmm. with me. Um, tell me a little bit about where you're at. Bring your full self to work. Yeah, and I'm so glad we've talked about this in the past because it's one of those things where like people say it now, and I, I kind of get that yuck feeling. Um, 
Because, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a little overused and it's it's definitely a different mentality. I think if you look like back and maybe like, you know, um, previously it was like you, you have your work life and you try to keep that really separate and then you have your home life that's separate. Then we learn, then we kind of turned into this like work life balance and how do we like manage the two and blend the two. Um, and then if I think about like, you know, companies like Google that really, really were at the forefront of having like these amazing benefits and perks where you, you know, we serve you breakfast in the morning and dinner and you can see a doctor on campus and get your dry cleaning done and get your car fixed. So there's an absolutely no reason why you ever have to be home. Like you can do everything on this employer campus. And that's, I think, then even meshed and evolved more into this like bring your full self to work where people are trying to use that as like um, them saying that they're inclusive and they're welcoming to all types. And I just think that it's, to me, it's becoming this blur where we're kind of lacking boundaries now. Mm -hmm. And there's this pressure to always be on, like always be yourself and be happy at work and um, kind of share everything. And you know, that might be fine if you're, it's kind of your first job out of college and you still want that kind of university life where like you're hanging out with everyone and you're, you're there all the time. But, you know, I'm turning 40 this year. I want to get along with my colleagues. If I make friends there, that's awesome. But that's not my first priority to like have this be um, like where I spend my whole day and have all my friends be my co like coworkers. And so I think, um, when I've talked about psychological safety, like we want to be able to bring certain parts of ourselves to the workplace and feel like we're not going to be judged, judged or ostracized or bullied. Um, but at the same time, it should be up to the individual how much they want to share and bring to work. If, you know, if I don't want to talk about my private life, let's say I have a husband and children or whatever, I might not want to talk about them at work. I might not want to tell you what I did over the weekend. <laughs> I think I think there just needs to be a little bit of um, boundaries in terms of how much of ourselves and what parts of ourselves we bring to work. But yes, we should be able to bring certain facets without um, without fear of judgment. I, I, I really appreciate that you mentioned creating psychological safety. Mm -hmm. You have a bachelor degree in psychology and I... You know, this concept of tying together what makes you feel psychologically safe about bringing your full self to work may not be the same as what makes me feel safe of bringing mm -hmm. that to work. And so I appreciate that you bring that perspective in. And I always have this picture when people say bring your full self to work, they want to be able to drop an F-bomb, like they want to, you know, dress how they want to dress. It's such an interesting fine line. Um, and as the lot, as we continue to get blurrier and blurrier every year, I think, I don't know if that's old age. I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> Um, but this, this bring your full self to work for me has always been an interesting one where I, I've wrestled with that myself from like, I don't want to have to be two different people. Being a teacher, yeah. being a CEO, I really did feel a little bit like two different people, depending on the size of the town. When I was in Chicago, it was very different. I'm not running into my students there, right? But when you work at Hoboken where it's 1.2 square mile, I am always on. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, I don't, you know, this, this idea of being able to shut off, I really look at authenticity. I want to bring my authentic mm -hmm. self. I don't want to have to pretend to be, you know, the somebody I'm not extra nice or whatever, I'm pretty nice, whatever the thing is I'm pretending. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it is, it's an interesting when you think about psychological safety and, and some people bringing their full self to work can put other people feeling like they're not psychologically safe. How do you um, set boundaries for that? How do you allow people to feel safe to bring themselves, but also safe enough to have boundaries? I think that's where like the, the values of the company also have to um, be focused on kind of like core things like we we're talking about, like, um, you know, humility and not necessarily having, um, you know, I don't know, like one of those slogans, of like, here, we just get shit done, or, you know, having this, like, um, almost cult, like, oh, everyone here is an overachiever, and everyone, uh, you know, like you're saying, likes to swear, likes to drink beer on Friday, like, just allowing people to um, have a personality that's kind of outside this identity of the company. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're kind of dancing a little bit too around some red flags. So I'd love to, since we're in there, like what are yeah. some red flags that we can look at that are like, all right, this company doesn't actually mean, oh yeah, we want you to be your full self. Cause I've been hoodwinked. I thought mm-hmm. that I was getting into that situation where who I was was fine. And then it was like, well, can we, you know, tone you down this way and try this. So what do we look out for when we're interviewing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of things to, to look at. Like if they can't speak to the, like, as we said, if they can't speak to the values and give examples, if the, what they're talking about in terms of values are um, kind of superficial. I remember a long time ago interviewing for some company that like pr- prided themselves on Wednesdays. Uh, we wear fake mustaches and drink whiskey or something completely bizarre with, <laughs> which is like not really important to the interview process or how you vet me. Um, But, you know, I think a lot about different environments I worked in that weren't healthy. And um, one of the things that I don't talk about often, but it's a little known fact is that I worked for Theranos. And um, that was probably back in 2012. I I can't remember the exact year, but, um, you know, that was the company that's um, infamous now because the Wall Street Journal reporter broke a story of the CEO, Elizabeth Holmes, um, basically trying to sell this proprietary machine that was uh, testing blood, like just with a, a prick of one little drop of blood could test all these different things um, and and faster time and send all the info wirelessly to whatever device. And people were really saying like, she's, you know, the next Steve Jobs. Um, and I interviewed with them um, at the time. And there were certain things that I just noticed like in the environment that I didn't pick up on, or I maybe subconsciously did, but just kind of brushed it off. So I think there's so many things um, even before you get into that interview process with how people communicate and how they handle the interview process itself. Um, For example, I think I interviewed at like seven o'clock in the evening at the time, which I thought was cool because I was like, wow, I can have my normal nine to five job, go interview at this other place. They'll never know. Um, In hindsight, I was like, why were we interviewing so late at night? Well, I realized once I got the job there that, um, you know, I was expected to help coordinate and run these interviews that took place pretty much from, you know, eight, in the morning to like 7 p.m. at night, um, like seven days a week. So me and the other people on my team would switch off and who would come in on the weekend. So, you know, I was working six days a week, 12 hours a day. Um, So that was one little clue (laughs) that I should have picked up on. Um, And then in the company culture, just getting there, like I had, um, 
there was just a security guard who checked me in at the front desk. And I guess he didn't notify the HR lady that I was there. So she came down a few minutes later and sort of berated him in front of me of like, why didn't you let me know? And how long has she been sitting here? And I thought that was, that was unprofessional. And then when I actually started at the company, that HR woman was gone. She was no longer there. So it's just kind of like, this is some weird turnover. I thought I'd be reporting to her, like what's going on. Um, so always just kind of look at, I think, the way that communication is handled, how organized the interview process is, how do people talk to each other. Um, even when I went there at seven in the evening, there were a lot of people still at their desks and they just seemed quiet and kind of miserable. So I should have realized that like this doesn't seem like the kind of relaxing, happy like environment I would want to be in. They must have had a really great pitch. <laughs> Um, I think at the time I was excited because um, I actually had the COO reach out to me on LinkedIn and I was like, wow, like this top executives messaging me, um, which I also realized it was just like one of their sourcing strategies. So it wasn't actually him. Um, There were different people that were given the his credentials to use his LinkedIn profile and reach How out How long did it take so, you to figure that out? Did you know that while you were interviewing? Did you find that out once you were hired that he was doing that? Oh, I found out once I was, once I was hired. Yeah. But, you know, at the time I was young and excited. I was like, wow, these like executives are reaching out to me and I got to meet like the, the CEO of this company. And that's really cool. Predatory recruiting. It exists. Uh, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that and some of the uh, the red flags that we can look out for when we're interviewing. Um, I actually had overheard someone talking last week about, oh, this guy wants to have an interview right now. I, it was eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's a big red flag. I wouldn't want to work at that company. Um, we had just yeah. been chatting across the way because I remember that story you shared. So I think this is just some really great um, you know, red flags and that feeling that you get, you know, we go on dates, we talk about dating red flags, companies. I, I, I also, I, sometimes I equate like interviewing at jobs is like when I was dating on apps and like really desperate to want to like this person, like in my head, as I'm sitting on a date with like the butterfly catcher, I'm like, mm, well, would the list really bother me? Like <laughs> I encourage people to like really to like, listen. And as we get older, we're, we not only do we listen to those red flags, but we're also, we feel like we're not um, desperate anymore to take some of those jobs with those red flags. Um, the last thing I want you to be able to share, because you have so much depth and knowledge in this area, um, is, is PTSD, um, from work is real and I've experienced it. And for anyone that's listening, who really resonates with toxic work environments and what that feels like, I know that you've had PTSD triggers from previous work environments. Can you speak to that a little bit for people? Yeah, you know, it kind of goes back to the making sure you speak up for yourself and set your own boundaries, because I've had all these crazy work environments with, you know, really either um, coworkers who were bullying or bosses who I've actually had therapists say, like, these are narcissistic tendencies. This has happened more than once to me. So um, I think just identifying that, um, you know, in the past, I always made it about me, like, it's something I'm doing wrong. If I did this differently, then this person would be nice to me. If I just achieved this other thing, then they would see my, my worth. You're pulling out my own thoughts right now. Yeah. And I, I realized that's, that's not always true. And um, when it's, when you do everything you can, and you really try, sometimes it's not about 
you. <laughs> it's about the other person. It's about the environment. Um, and so it's okay to leave a job. It doesn't mean that uh, you failed. You know, it's about standing up for yourself. Um, but it's hard because these are like parts of our shadow then that we carry forward. And so for me, it's a lot of times stopping and questioning myself, why am I feeling triggered right now? Um, is it really what's happening in the present or is it reminding me of something in the past? And I think being able to have a coach or a therapist or someone that you can talk to about that is really helpful. Um, I've been doing a lot of um, work in the last year, learning about attachment theory, which is super interesting. And just kind of, that also kind of plays into just learning about um, being more self-aware and um, kind of questioning your thoughts and feelings um, when they arise. <laughs> yeah, self-awareness and emotional intelligence um, yes. is something that comes along with that, I think, um, as you develop your career. And investing in a coach or therapist are great ways. I know for my, um, my, my triggers at work, I had a coach the first time I hired her, and I was just like, we're supposed to do this onboarding session. I just have to tell you what happened at work today. She's like, maybe it's not about you. And that was a really hard mm -hmm. place for me to sit. I'm like, but if it's not about me, I can't fix it. <laughs> I, I, I want to be able to fix it. Um, and therapy or coaching or healing, having someone else to be able to kind of hold your hand for that. Um, I help people rewrite their stories. I think rewriting a story from PTSD at work is actually really mm -hmm. hard. Um, and there's quite a bit of healing that takes place, particularly workplace bullying which I've also learned yeah. the receiving end from. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting because I just watched a YouTube video recently and I'm not gonna remember the name of the person, but um, this psychologist did research and was saying that um, the signs of burnout are very much the same as going through PTSD. And so that's uh, just something to think about when you're like, oh, I'm just a little burnt out, it's fine. Like, I think, you know, we need to listen to like the signs that our body is giving us. Absolutely. I've had uh, two major burnouts um, in my life. One, I worked from 4.30 a.m. until about midnight to 12.30 every single day for a year. You will shoot your adrenals out if you do that. Yeah. Um, and when I and what is interesting sometimes about the way the universe can work, you talk about having several bosses that were narcissistic, is fast forward and six years later, I found myself in almost a very similar situation, not with the hours, but almost with the characters and the same bullies and then just a different state, different environment. And that's a really great eye opener to work with on a therapist to talk about attachment issues and like the healing of why am I attracting and why am I creating? Um, and that was a hard one for me to say, oh, it's not about me, but I'm the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's just not about you. It's about the toxic place. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm stumbling through my, I'm a little rusty today, admittedly, but I do remember my three questions I always ask at the end. So, and I am excited to, to hear from you. What is your superpower? You have so many talents. What is your superpower? <laughs> um, I really think my superpower is just being able to make connections with people. Um, when I look at the different friends that I've made throughout the course of my life, like most of them I've had for 10 plus years, um, and all just like very different people from different walks of life. So I feel like I'm, I'm able to relate to and connect to lots of different types of people. Totally agree. I met you once. I have you on the podcast and I think we're planning a trip <laughs> for you to come visit with Kim. I, that rumor happened. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Superpower, making connections with people. 
What is your purpose? I think my purpose is really to be in a space of healing. Um, so going through the different hardships that I've gone through in life, taking that knowledge uh, for the better and helping other people. And what's next for you? Wow. <laughs> it's, it's a good timing for this question because I'm actually contemplating a bit of a career pivot, like maybe not leaving recruiting forever, but definitely taking this knowledge and applying it more to the field of psychology, maybe going back to grad school. I don't know, but in a space where I can help um, coach others. Mm, I love that. I want to know more about that. When you come to visit. I'm thinking about that master's too. We'll exchange notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I will have your LinkedIn on here so you guys can click and follow Marissa, reach out to her with any questions. Some of you might be reaching out with resumes if she's hiring. <laughs> um, and you can also give us a like on Podbean or Apple Podcasts where you can listen to us or on YouTube, you can listen and watch us. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at Outstanding Women Leaders. You can follow us on Facebook. On um, Twitter, there's a war going on. I don't know if our tweets are going out right now. Um, but you can follow us on the other social until something else is available. Thank you so much, Marissa. I'm going to give you the last word. <laughs> any, last, <laughs> any last parting thoughts for our audience? Um, well, I love that you talked about authenticity today. And I think um, just follow the core of your heart and your gut and um, don't change who you are for anybody. Mm -hmm.